There was a time and place that this university was feared. My goal as the head football coach at the University of Tennessee it is to get us back to that point. All right? You can do it! Let me just quote the late, great Colonel Sanders. He said, I'm too drunk to taste this chicken. What is that? That's what she said. When you think about running through the tee at Nayland Stadium for the first time this Saturday, does that give you a little bit of chicken skin? A little bit of what? A chicken skin, you know. You know what I'm making reference to when I say chicken skin? You're a southern boy. I ain't got no idea. Punched up in the end zone. It's tipped up. It's caught. It is caught. Jawan Jennings. Jawan Jennings. Good morning, afternoon, evening, brunch time, lunch time, football time, in Tennessee time. Not the start to the season everyone wanted time it'll get better the next two weeks time and if it doesn't things have really gone off the rails time whatever time of day it is it's the right time for the go Vols 24 7 podcast Wes rucker ryan callahan patrick brown coming to you from fort rucker studio on a pleasant afternoon here in knoxville i think pleasant's the right word pleasant is the right word September's usually pleasant. Yeah, I had a little bit of a... The skies opened up for a little bit yesterday. Had a little bit of a monsoon. I love this time of year. Summer's fading too fast for me. I, I'm not ready for cold weather yet, and I know you're not, Wes. Yeah, I'm not. It, the only the only thing that sucks about fall is that it becomes winter. Yeah. What, what are y'all talking about fall for? It's supposed to be 92 on Friday. That's what I'm saying. I, I'm still all about this. It's supposed to be 88 on Saturday. Chance of rain Saturday, right? Might be some wet ball work 60%. needed. 60%. Yeah. Meteorologist Patrick Brown with the weather. When's the next cold front coming through there? It's supposed to be 87 for UTEP, so. How about that? There you go. That's, that's a, a nooner. Noon game, yeah. Are, are you for, you're forecasting eight days in advance now? I'm just scrolling through my Weather Channel app. Fair enough. Shout out to the Weather Channel, who changed their app, and it kind of sucks now. But Yeah, I kind of thought the same I thing. I don't want to change, because I'm resistant to change in most cases. So. You, you know where the weather was interesting over the weekend? Charlotte, North Carolina. Because as far as I can tell, I think that was the first sporting event I've been to that was weather delayed by an hour and no rain actually fell. Yeah. Now, there was, according to a Charlotte meteorologist who tweeted uh, or retweeted something I said and added a comment to it, she said that the closest lightning strike came within a mile or two of Bank of America Stadium. Now, we never saw that, but that's what she said. That's what she said. That is what she said. So uh, so I, I think that's why they delayed it. But, yeah, it is strange to have a one-hour, five-minute weather delay and no one in the stadium gets to feel a raindrop, really. Well, clearly the, the folks that were in the upper deck that we could see, it was on the West Virginia side. So if you're Tennessee fans and you were sitting in the upper deck during the rain delay, we did not see you because we were underneath that side of the stadium. But uh, those folks were like, no, we're staying here. Yeah, asked everyone to clear out. Most everyone did into the concourses. <laughs> And they're like, no, we can see there's no lightning up here. We're good. Like, or they're just not bright, which is possible. They were probably from West Virginia. <laughs> I, already oh. walk up, I already walk up East Steps once a day out and doing it twice. You can contact Patrick Brown at patrick.brown. It's at ryan.callahan at cbsinteractive.com if you have uh, – you can send your complaints there. You know what's um, what's interesting is about that weather before we move on to talk about football because would you rather talk about um, 
the, the weather, or would you rather talk about that football game? I think you might actually want to hear about the weather for a second. So here's a fun fact. That game actually should have been delayed in the middle of the second quarter. They did not go by standard protocol. Someone, someone with the, the, the events personnel or whatever, some, someone yeah. whose job is to do that, didn't do their job. Didn't do their job, basically. And we got we got too many people in America not doing their jobs. They, they had the first uh, the first sort of lightning strike within X amount of miles happened during the middle of the second quarter, and so they didn't delay it until halftime. And that is interesting because can you imagine? Can you imagine? Tennessee goes on that long, long scoring drive. Tennessee starts to wrestle the momentum back in that game, and then there's that weather delay, and then it's forty to fourteen, and it doesn't rain. Can you imagine the conspiracy theories? Can you imagine? Because yeah. I can. I've been here long enough. I, I can. Ooh, that would not, not have been a pretty sight. We won't spend too much time talking about that game because the, uh, the future is what's more important, especially since this is coming to you later in the, the game week for the second game. Well, but, well, but we do need to discuss it. But, I mean, what are we going to talk about, ETSU? I have a whole lot. I have thorough notes on Bucky yeah, right here. No, I don't. No, you don't. We're just gonna, all our ETSU talk is just going to be about Randy Sanders and then what we would like to get at Pals. We're gonna I'm gonna play. We're a game. gonna break down ETSU in and depth. and we're gonna have our uh, uh, Tri Cities Power Poll. Which, yeah. Spoiler alert: John City's number one. And I'm gonna I'm gonna play a game with y'all called "Is This an ETSU Player or Not?" <laughs> so we will we will see how many. Are you ETSU, for real or is that? A, I haven't decided. I might do that. I might not. It just depends on how this podcast goes. But we will discuss that game for those of you who. Uh, you know, you don't like watching games live. You get too nervous, and you're just like, I want to wait for the GoVoss 24-7 podcast before I, before I learn what happened in the game. Well, uh, it did not go well for the Vols, 40-14. to 14. No, 40-14. to 14. You made it sound like it was 42-14. to 14. Yeah, 40-14. to 40-14. Yeah. You, you, you said 42-14. You, you dabbled 14. on the two. Yeah. I, it's all right. It's okay. We're having. It's been. It's been one of those days already. Patrick's a stickler for the details. Okay. Yeah, we do normal hey, details, accountability, into. Oh wait, never mind. I, I am normally one take west today for this podcast. Who it was not. We had the uh, volume wrong on one. Played the wrong intro song for another. I messed up and fumbled over a word and then started cussing very loudly, very which loud. caused another one to our, be. Our I te- said we should have kept that one. Our test was interrupted by one of uh, your. Uh, the owner of this pr- property. Yeah, the was uh, out, his, one of his offspring was out in your yard. Yeah, Gary the gar- yard. Gary the groundhog of death was out there, uh, or one of his uh, offspring was. There's four of them right now in the yard, and so uh, I don't think that was Gary because let me tell you, if you saw Gary, you'd know it was Gary. He is the uh, he he's the one who, in case you didn't join us last week or the week before. He is uh, half groundhog, half Labrador retriever. He is he we, is we large. Need, we need to get Gary on the podcast. Yeah, well, uh, he runs away every time I yell at him. So he's gonna he's a little bit timid. He's a little shy. He gets microphone shy. You know, he doesn't. I understand. You know, he he likes he's more of a private person. But that game was forty dash fourteen as the final score. Uh, Tennessee uh, was kind of getting uh, run off the rails a little bit early in that game and then kind of bounced way back into it, cut it to, to 10-7, things starting to look a little bit better. And uh, then – It could have been worse. I mean, Wes, you and I were talking in the press box, and we said after the first quarter it was like they're only down to nothing. It feels like they're down a lot more. It feels like it could be 100. When, and, and, you know, on the, on the first defensive series, Tennessee gets away with a play where they only had 10, defen- you know, 10 guys on the field. 
Yeah. Let the and, second down play. Yeah, <laughs> and, and David Sills drop, you know, dropped the touchdown pass he probably normally would make. Uh, and then Will Greer missed two throws where he had guys open behind Tennessee defenders uh, that might have gone for touchdowns. There was one on a wheel route and then another one for Seals. And Best think, playing football. I actually think they, they went back uh, – West Virginia went back to each of those plays later in the game for touchdowns. Yeah, so, they did. Um, yeah, I mean, it could have been worse, but uh, I, Tennessee is not a good team, and they, they didn't play very well. They made a lot of mistakes. No, I was going to say, we thought of them holding down West Virginia a little bit in the first half, and when you look back at it, at least my perspective watching it on tape, I think it, the second half was more just kind of the inevitability of what they didn't execute properly in the first half. It was just West Virginia doing what they had done and just hitting throws. Yeah, it, it looked to me like, you know, you don't, you don't ever want to play butterfly effect in a game, especially one that ends up being a blowout. But there was one moment there where Tennessee gets the ball, goes down for a touchdown, <laughs> it's 10-7. to 7. Tennessee gets the ball back, goes down to the 40-yard line, I believe, of West Virginia and has a second and two, then goes uh, backward and then goes just a couple yards, has to punt the ball back there with like a minute 52 left, I think, in the first half. If Tennessee at least drives down to a field goal or better yet goes and scores, Tennessee has the lead or is tied at halftime there. And then the pressure gets on West Virginia a little bit more. Tennessee's feeling a little bit more confident then the game could have been more interesting because what happened was as soon as West Virginia started scoring and Tennessee didn't respond, Tennessee's going to be able to pass the ball better, I think, when, when they have some balance in that attack. And that really kind of took Tennessee out of the game because Tennessee, if you have to sit there and drop back and throw it deep and you have to do that stuff and the defense knows it's coming, I don't think that's a great position for Tennessee to be in. And so if, if that game is tied or Tennessee has the lead going into the half, then there's more pressure on West Virginia. Then you have more balance on offense in the second half. Then maybe the game turns out a little bit differently. But the point is, uh, this team did not play well. And it's like Pruitt said, Tennessee could have played its best and not won the game. Or Tennessee could have played, you know, it could have played its best and won, could have played its best and lost. But the point is, Tennessee did not play its best. And so Pruitt said as much, and I think this is an important thing for this season. Pruitt didn't harp so much on the loss as the fact that he did Tennessee did not play its best. He wants this team to play the best that it can play, and then if it does that and then it loses, so be it. But it's, it, it's about this – so it is about this season, but it's really about a foundation. And I think Pruitt's sort of put himself in that mindset. You can tell by listening to him. He wants to win. He's competitive. I think he's, he was 93-15 and 15 as an assistant coach, which is ridiculous. He wants to win, but – he knows that this team's not a championship team, so what he wants to do is he wants this team to play the way it needs to play and then see what happens. I, I think it's definitely that, and I, th- I think also, though, it's just that he's not used to coaching teams that make the kinds of mistakes so often that he saw Saturday. I, I think that was just so different for him because he's used to dealing with good athletes, good players who know what they're doing. And, and sure, you're always going to have a first year. There always might be an adjustment. But I think he just looked at that, looked at the film from Saturday's game and just saw, like, we had the right play called right there, had double coverage on a guy, and he still was open to catch a pass. Like, yeah. He's not used to seeing that be an issue at places where, where he's been. So I, I think he was just a little bit, yeah, you, you're trying to just get your team to play the way you want them to, and that's what you're worried about more in the in the big picture. But I, also, I think he was just surprised that not only did they lose, but they lost the way they did by making some mistakes when they had the right play called. Yeah, and, and I think he's tried to keep 
uh, try to remain upbeat by you know this week by saying, you know, on offense, you know, when our offensive line did what it was supposed to do, we we you know we were successful on running the ball. You know, Jared Garantano had a good game. Yeah, he missed some throws, but uh, there's Not a lot many. of things he can build on. Uh, and then defensively, if you went if you went back and watched his coach's show, he was like, uh, anytime you know, for every breakdown there was in the secondary, he he pointed out. I think on their first touchdown, uh, West Virginia's first touchdown, they only sent two guys out in the route. I mean, and Tennessee didn't have a big rush on, so they had they were very you know had a numbers advantage in the secondary, and uh, they didn't double the guy like they were supposed to. Mike Amron, he doesn't make the play, uh, you know, at, at that point, and it turns into a touchdown win. Uh, that was one of those good calls that Pruitt kind of talked about. And, and there was another couple uh, where he said, hey, we had good things called and, and it didn't work out. So, um, and we didn't execute it. So I, I think, you know, I think he's trying to, as a coach, there's kind of two ways you can go about a game where there's a lot of mistakes. You can say, hey, look, guys, you know, if we clean up the, clean these things up, we could be pretty good and give ourselves a chance. And I think that's his point by saying it's about what we do, not what they do. And so I, We'll have to see if Tennessee's able to sort of get things corrected and, and get some consistency. And and he pointed out all preseason how they how inconsistent they were, and, and we kind of saw it a little bit on on Saturday. And I, I think it's also worth noting that just in terms of just the passing game, just the passing game, I don't know that Tennessee will see a better passing game all season. Uh, you're looking at an NFL quarterback, what I think might be a first round draft pick at quarterback. Uh, you're looking at uh, three wide receivers who are really good. I mean, Sills is a big, good-looking wide receiver. Jennings, uh, just a great possession receiver, a great, big, strong guy who goes to get the ball. Sills does not lose jump balls. Uh, and then you've got the other guy who can fly. So the, that, their passing game, when you combine that quarterback with those receivers, you know, you're going to see other great yeah. quarterbacks. But I don't know that you're going to see it all year long another combination of a passing game. You're going to see, you know, better running games. You're going to see that kind of stuff for sure. But in terms of just drop back, hit the guy in stride, well-designed pass plays, well-executed pass plays, I don't know if they're going to see a better better one than that because Gurr made three or four throws that were just unbelievable. Yeah, and, th- and those are the kind of plays that Pruitt's like, you know, hey, we had good coverage on. I mean, the, the play that uh, Nigel Warrior got beat on, I think it was West Virginia's second touchdown in the second half. I mean, that was just a – that was an NFL throw. I yep. mean, he put that – there was one place that ball could go, and he put it there. There was another throw later in that uh, – later in the third quarter, too, where it was Abernathy and – uh, you know, he didn't turn the, he didn't turn his head around, and I said in the in the box when it happened, I was like, if he turns his head around, it's interception. But I don't even think <laughs> I don't even think the guy he was covering even turned his head around until like the last second. The ball was like right there. Yeah, was, I mean, it was just a great throw and great catch. And and Pruitt's, you know, he he's willing to say, hey, if they make plays, they make plays. But we can't give them plays. And I think Tennessee, I think he left that game feeling like Tennessee gave up too much and um, just sort of, you know, they made it too easy on West Virginia. The way, the way that Pruitt talks about his defense is he wants other teams to have to earn everything. Mm-hmm. And, and he didn't feel like Tennessee made West Virginia earn anything because they had too many mistakes, whether it be the mental error, not, you know, not communicating the coverage right, to, you know, let the running back out of the backfield wide open, or uh, bus where, uh, like Trayvon Flowers on, on the touchdown in the start of the second half, thought Sills was going to cut his route off and, and got caught kind of peeking. And yeah. Sills went over the top. And, they had, you know, that was uh, just little – Eras, as he as he says, am I, am I saying it right? There's yeah, middle, eras. middle era, eras and technical eras, and uh, and Pruitt to his credit is like, hey, you know, we gotta we gotta do a better job during the week of coaching our guys and, and making sure they avoid this stuff. So yeah, I'll mention one thing quickly before we move on from that. I, I think that you know, for perspective on this, guys, we sit up in the press box, so we have a pretty good bird's eye view of most <laughs> most plays in the passing game. 
and we I know I do it a lot. I think I've heard y'all do it too. As soon as the ball leaves the quarterback's hand, we basically go, yeah or nah. You can just kind of you can see when the quarterback releases the ball that that's in trouble or that that's good or that's got a chance. There were three times in that game, three times, and I don't think I've ever done this in one game. Three times where as soon as Greer released the ball, I went nah. Just there was nothing there, mm-hmm. but he threw the ball to a perfect spot, the only place it could have been thrown. The receiver knew what was coming, so he took his steps and then turned and just – I mean, he put the ball – like he dropped it into a coffee cup a couple of times, and it was just unbelievable, uh, the accuracy uh, and the the sort of the efficiency of that pass game. And he missed two or three throws uh, in the first half that he did not miss again in the second half. Um, but you just have to – there are times where you have to tip your cap and go, yep, mm-hmm, you're good. And I think that's one of those games. Yeah, well, Wes, I believe your, your go-to phrase when there's a – Maybe not so much a pass play. Maybe I'm thinking more of when there's a, a breakaway run developing. Yours is look out, look out, because <laughs> so. you can see the hole kind of. Yeah. You know, and I think I I think I almost said it during Callaway's punt return because Callaway caught a punt, did an unbelievable job of taking a couple steps back, um, kind of to the side toward mm-hmm. the sideline. He wait, he he waited, he saw the hole, and then he cut back across. And if he could have gotten past that one guy, he had a big return and he had a wall. So I think I went, look out, but, you know, it was erroneous. But still, that's what we do. And I think to to Patrick's point, importantly, and this is what I like, is that Pruitt seems pretty honest about saying two things. One, uh, there were a couple of plays where the the call was correct and, and we just didn't execute it. But more importantly, number two, he said, I am the head coach. This is on me. I should have gotten the guys better. And he admitted that when they when Tennessee punted the ball in the end of the first half, and to his credit, he could have just not said this because I don't think anybody noticed it. We didn't notice it at no, the time. I didn't. I didn't, and, I didn't make note of it either. We, we normally notice things like that. For that, I guess we were in preseason form still. We didn't notice it, but he could have run about thirty more seconds off the clock before he punted that ball to um, to West Virginia, and that turned into a, a field goal drive on the last play. So. That turned the momentum a little bit too, and Pruitt said, "That's my mistake. That's on no one else. That's on me." And 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 we it, just did not hear this before. We just did not hear this no. stuff. And I think players respect that. You know, if you're going to be a leader, this should be coaching leadership 101. If you're going to do these things, you have to hold yourself to the same standard or a higher standard than you hold the people below you. And Pruitt seems to hold himself to an incredibly high standard, and he's publicly accountable. And I think that gives Tennessee a chance to get better. Yeah, and, and going back to that sequence, I mean, they still had a couple things that didn't go their way. They had a, uh, a unsportsmanlike conduct pillow on Austin Pope. I didn't, I didn't get a good look at it on the replay. I didn't see what, what necessarily it was. Uh, and then the the officials missed a targeting call like right before the field goal. Uh, an offensive lineman peeled back and helmet to helmet right to Lex Johnson. The, the Tennessee staff erupted. They were looking for a flag, and this sure ACC thing. crew didn't seem like they had a really good grasp on the game, but they missed that one. Um, but yeah, I mean that's you know that that's an issue. You know we didn't even notice it in the time, but it, you know it 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 was something that he pointed out. And uh, but Pruitt, he he's going to be blunt, man. I mean like you you watch him in his coach's show, even on a play where Tim Jordan makes a great effort play and gets like twenty yards, he's like should have gone up the a gap. There's the hole. There's the gap. If you look, it's like if you look behind the offensive line, there's the hole right there. And you know you watch the replay, and you're like sure enough, and, and you kind of keep that in your mind because you know when they get to play some SEC defenses. Jordan's not going to be able to bounce it outside and have no. the same kind of success. So, he, will, he will be caught. And, you know, you hear Pruitt on Wednesday say, 
Talking about J.J. Peterson. Yep, he's out of shape. <laughs> Everybody's thinking it, but he just comes out and says it. And, like, he's fat. Um, and, and just it, it, it kind of was like a mistake reel uh, on watching him go back through uh, on his coach's show. A little Benny Hill music going on? Yeah, it was just like, I mean, even on a kickoff, uh, he's like, I think Nigel Warrior was on the kickoff, and, and they had it blocked. They had it, they had it blocked perfectly. It was him and one guy, and he couldn't make one guy miss. And instead of you know potentially a big play where if you – rewind it and watch it you know he's got a lane if he hits it he gets you know stopped up by that one guy and they start inside the 20 just little things like that I think is uh, as a coach you you point those out and, and you try to show those team you know show that to your team and, and he said that you know when we go back and watch the film with our players they're gonna be sick just to see all the mistakes they made yeah. now the question is with these mistakes is are they related to it being a first game with a new staff because they haven't been in you know, in this system, in this program, played the, you know, the techniques like they're supposed to, particularly on the defensive side of the ball, or is it a talent issue? And I think a lot of people have, uh, there's been a lot of referendums about Tennessee's talent level over the past few days after that game. And uh, all this talk about, well, Tennessee's got this many classes and West Virginia's been ranked that. I don't, I don't think that matters. I, no. I think if Tennessee fans should, should realize now that recruiting class rankings don't really mean a whole lot once you get to college. And, yeah, Tennessee's got the remnants. Uh, they've got a third of a top five class left. But their last three classes were ranked, what, 20th, 17th, and 14th. So you're not talking about elite talent. You're talking about decent talent. Yeah. and Middle I, of the SEC talent. And clearly it's not been developed. It's not been coached up. It's not been put in, you know, the right situations over the past, you know, two to three years. And a lot of these guys, a lot of the highly ranked guys from that 2015 class have been, have been dealing with injuries. I mean, you look yeah. at Shai Tuttle, Darren Kirkland. Uh, even Jawan Jennings too. So, uh, a lot of the talent on this, you know, I, I think the talent level isn't good. I think it's better than what they showed on Saturday, though. Yeah, I'm being did. honest, yeah. I think they can play better than they did, and I think that's one of the takeaways. That, and that may be an optimistic, you know, takeaway. It's still going to be a struggle for this team to get to six wins, but uh, they they didn't play well, and they're not a good team anyway, and they can't afford to make as many mistakes as they did on on, on Saturday. Yeah, they got some decisions to make because I know Pruitt says starters are determined on a week to week basis, and here's what I mean in one case. There is a reason that Micah Abernathy has started for Tennessee. He knows the defense extremely well. He is an extension of the coach on the field. You, no. got, you got people angry talking about it. Oh, I know. But, I mean, but I mean, you go through on a week-to-week basis, I am quite certain he probably 100% fully earns that starting role every day during practice. I'm sure he probably does. However, you look at the game film, and it's starting to add up, and – there, that, that first, that long touchdown West Virginia had, I mean, he dissected the play well. He saw, he came over to help. He took a really good angle. He attacked uh, the receiver, but he just completely whiffed on the tackle. And what should have been a 20-yard gain turns into a 59-yard touchdown. And we've seen this before. And if you are the safety, you have really, really one big rule, right? No one gets behind you. No one gets behind you. No one gets behind you. If you have to grab them by the leg, if you have to horse collar them, if you have to take out a club, take out a little prison shank from underneath your, your, your sock and stab someone to keep them from going by you, you do what you have to do. You cannot allow someone to get by you. And it's hard to say you have to be perfect because no one's perfect, but you have to make that play. And I just wonder, Pruitt keeps talking about how you earn it on a week-to-week basis you earn it by the way you practice. I can't help but wonder if they're going to have to look at doing something different there because 
maybe you give him a one-time free pass for that first game and say, okay, that was a tough assignment. That was a good passing game. Let's see going forward. But it's going to be tough because he, you can't, you can't, you can't do things like that. This team just cannot afford that. This team is not exceptional enough to fail to do the little things right. And if you're a senior, you've played as many games as he's played. I don't want to focus too much on one play, especially with a kid like Abernathy, who's an unbelievably great kid. But you have to make that play. Yeah, and, and you know, as much as. West Virginia had it, you know, made its plays on, on, on Trayvon Flowers and on Bryce Thompson. They didn't make it on Alante Taylor. He was actually pretty solid, I thought. Yeah, he was. Um, Blocked a punt, too. Nothing, no, he did nothing to hurt his uh, high-flying stock. If you didn't, if you He's CB1 now. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the veterans in the secondary struggled, too, and, and Buchanan and Abernathy. And I don't think Nacho Warrior played great. I think he can play better. But uh, you just you, you look at some, some of the other options, and, and Pruitt said after the game, you know, these guys earned this, you know, the playing time they got. Uh, and it kind of made it sound like it wasn't close for some other some of these other guys, some of these guys like Sean Schamberger, whose uh, absence was a bit of a mystery. Who's a decent football player, I think. Yeah, I mean, he was with the first team for a lot of the offseason, uh, and we thought he would be very much in the mix at that star position and, and maybe even at safety, and he, he didn't, I don't think he played a defensive snap. And even late in the game when they did rotate some some guys further down the depth chart in, it was Markwell Osborne and um, Theo Jackson who, who got in there and forced a fumble – yeah, I'm wondering if it, you know if they try to get Theo ready. He wasn't a guy that was. I don't, I don't think. He was I think very, Theo's a good football player. I don't think player. he was I very. They cl- need him I don't think there. he was very close to getting playing time. But I mean, it seems like every time he does get put in in games, he, you know, something happens. You yep. know, he makes you know forces a fumble. I think he's worth a look. He has an interception on the uh, in the spring game, and, and and maybe he's a guy that they give a, a look to the next couple of weeks. Did Pru- did Pruitt maybe mean that when he talked about <laughs> there are sometimes guys who he goes usually you, you scrimmage how you yeah. practice and you play how you scrimmage. But he said there are some guys who just when the game comes on, they are a different kind of player. Well, he, he, no, he doesn't like to admit it because no coach does. He might have meant it in a negative context towards somebody. True, true. And I think you might be looking at I, – I, I don't want to mention specific names here, but I, I, I think Jonathan Kongbo might be a name he mentions there because he just was not effective in the game at all. And my, my point is this. For, for Tennessee to be – I think we can all agree on this. Maybe we don't, but I'm going to throw it out here and see if we do. All right, I disagree. That's fair. If Tennessee wants to get to six wins this season, the players who should be solid have to be solid, and the players who could be special have to be special. A guy like Nigel Warrior has got to be a big-time player. You know, either either Daryl Taylor or Jonathan Kongbo, either one of them, one of them has to become a really good pass rusher. You know, a guy like Shai Tuttle needs to build on that first game and, and, and be as dominant as he can be in the middle of the line of scrimmage. Because they don't have enough yes. good players for their good play or their talented players not to live up to potential. Yes. A guy like Josh Palmer, who we can see now, we've seen it for two years now, he has no problem getting open. Josh Palmer, say what you will about the kid, uh, he gets open. He, he can get by yeah. defenders and he can make plays. He did last year too. Yeah, and, you know, it's like he did one thing. Like I know the throw kind of led him in this direction. Oh, that throw was out of bounds. I was on the quarterback. Oh, absolutely it was. But, I mean, what I'm saying is these little things like that, when you get downfield, you know, you got to the – pass, the pass has got to be there. This team – the margin for error is not, like, so small that it's impossible to win, but it's pretty small. And those guys who can get open have got 
to run their routes the right way. And I think they're going to have to call more pass plays to the middle of the field because Garantano, to me, throws the ball significantly better over the middle of the field than he does down the side. I but, think he's got to throw it more, period. I think after what I saw Saturday, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll learn more about this team. And, and this is the point I was going to make. In general, this week, I think we're going to start to learn more about this team because, like, like Pruitt admitted, there are things you learn about your team week one and you adjust week two. They're also going to find out what they have with some of their younger guys and their depth. And so we'll, we'll start learning more about what this team's going to look like going forward. But for Garantano, I I just thought he was – he showed enough upside but didn't get enough chances in the passing game. They only threw 25 times. They didn't push it downfield. So I, I, I just think they might have to rely on his arm a little more and try try out the passing game a little bit. I don't know if they go wide open, but I just think you might have to give it – Run the oopy-oop. Yeah, give it some more opportunities. I, I think you leave this game, even though Tennessee scored just 14 points against the Big 12 defense, uh, which – on its face is probably concerning. Unless it's I, Oklahoma, yeah. That's I think concerning. West Virginia's defense is maybe better than we gave it credit for. They've added a, a couple of guys up front. Uh, Kenny Bigelow is a guy that was a former five-star kid that, that they got in from uh, as a as a transfer from USC. And they he, play a unique scheme. He yeah, and, and he he sort of wrecked um, Tennessee's game plan early on. Uh, I think you leave this game feeling better maybe about the offense because you know you saw some good things from Garantano. You saw Callaway and Jawan Jennings get open, and, and you say, hey, you know, those are guys that we can get the ball to. You saw Tim Jordan, who's like uh, like John Kelly, kind of like a poor man's John Kelly. I don't want to say poor man's, but maybe a, a middle-income yeah. man's John Kelly. Uh, <laughs> I, I like, I've always been bullish it, on Jordan. I like Jordan as a player. Median I, income. I, I think he can – I think <laughs> if given the carries over the course of a season – Because John Kelly's rich now. He's I think he can be – I, I really do think if given the opportunity, and I don't know that he'll be given it because they're going to have to sp- split reps, I think he could be a 1,000-yard back. I do believe that. I, I mean, think he's a good football but player. But you, you, you saw his, his performance and saw a lot of good things. You saw Garantana's performance and saw a lot of good things. You saw you – know, you talked about Palmer – uh, a guy that a lot of people were in sort of wait-and-see mode. Uh, he made a great catch on that play that was thrown out of bounds. Uh, and He was open a couple times, got a, open for a couple third-down catches as well. And, and I think he and Garantano, as I've said before, have a nice kind of rapport between them. Um, the offensive line, I'm sure we'll talk about the, the situation with Brandon Kennedy here in, in a little bit, I think. Um, but that's a group that Jeremy Pruitt still believes can get better once they get sort of you know settled on a five. Now they got to settle on a new five because uh, of Kennedy's injury. But – Defensively, though, I just I don't know what they're going to do. I mean, I think I, they, I think they're really limited. I think Pruitt is going to have to kind of pick his poison and just kind of live with it because this team is this pass rush. These outside linebackers aren't good enough to get to the quarterback on their own, and, and these cornerbacks and, and these safeties in the secondary. I don't think they're good enough to cover in the secondary one on one for uh, an extended period of time. So Pruitt's going to have to figure out okay how you know he's going to have to pick his spots and hope for the best in terms of when he brings pressure and when he decides to yeah. to sit back and, and try to just get to the quarterback with with four or with five. So um, I, I just, it's just, it's going to be sort of a, a back and forth. T- I don't want to say tug of war, but Bruce is going to figure out. And, and you, what you talked about this earlier, Wes, they're going to play some good quarterbacks. I mean, they're going to play uh, Jake Fromm, Jared Stidham, Drew Locke, Felipe Franks, just kidding. Um, Tua. <laughs> Tua. Yeah. I mean, you, you look at Jake Bentley Jake too. Bentley, yeah. Uh, you know, some of the receiving cores, there's a lot of Whoever talent. Whoever Vanderbilt's quarterback is. You, you know, he's actually a, not bad. There's a lot of talent. Yeah, I'm just at kidding. He's there's a lot good. of, a lot of talent at wide receiver. I think Missouri's probably the best, second best overall passing game that they're going to play behind West Virginia. But yeah, because talking, of Derek Dooley. But every, <laughs> but everybody else on the schedule's got at least one or two really good wide receivers. So it's it, it this defense is going to have to kind of, uh, I don't I don't know. I think that's that it's going to be tough for Pruitt because he wants to blitz, he wants to bring pressure, but he knows that if he does, you know, he doesn't know. 
if he's you know if they're going to be able to hold up in, in coverage on the secondary and in the secondary and, and Saturday suggested that that's not going to be something they're going to be able to do consistently. Yeah, there's no worse defense than a blitz that doesn't work because if you know it's like Pruitt said, if you're going to blitz. You have got uh, to as, get there as, in a couple as, seconds, and yeah. if you don't, then you might as well have not yeah. blitzed because uh, you're going to get burned. As much as the secondary is taking heat, I mean, they didn't get a lot of help. I mean, this this pass rush, they got two sacks, but um, and Greer's slippery. I'll give him that. Greer, but. Yeah, there were a couple of plays where they, you know, they affected the quarterback. Um, yeah, but, but they, Batuli missed a chance was, for a sack. I mean, there 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 yeah, were guys Kirk, who just need to play better. Kirkland missed one. I mean, they just they just didn't disrupt Greer at all over, you know, or consistently. They didn't have him rattled. He had time where, you know, he could sit back and, and make plays. And a lot of times they did make some quick throws where it didn't matter anyway. But um, that's just – if you can't cover and you can't put, rush the passer, you're, you're, you're not going to be very good on, on defense. And, and they didn't exactly stop the run very well either. I think, you know, West Virginia – they caught him in, a, in the dime a couple times. That's, you know, that's sometimes you expect to happen uh, when West Virginia spreads you out with four wide receivers and they've got sort of five on five up front and – uh, you know that's that's tailor made to make an easy play there, but they missed a couple plays on, on one of those. You know, one of those plays, Shai Tuttle had a chance to get you know make a play in the backfield and didn't, and then you know they had a couple mistakes there too. So uh, this defense, I think, is we thought there'd be. I don't know. We thought they'd struggle, but you thought if you you know as the optimism kept building, you're like, okay, Pruitt's a really good defensive coach. He'll figure it out. He'll get you know he'll 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 find a way to get you know a decent group out of this out of these guys and. They gave up 500 yards and 40 points in the first game. I, I think the the I mean the point I was going to make is I think they that's the that's the natural conclusion to reach. But at the same time, like we were saying, this might be the best passing game they faced all year. And it, on the other hand, it might be one of the um, one of the least heavily relied on running games we see Tennessee play all year. We're going to see SEC teams that challenge them a lot more and are more insistent on running the ball. I thought West Virginia was effective when they did it, but they just weren't committed to it. West, yeah, West, yeah, so, West so, Virginia runs when it gets the numbers it wants because it's yeah. going to spread you out, and if you have to go to a dime or something like that and, and they have more to block than you have in the box, they're going to run it and they're going to get seven, eight, nine yards. Yeah, and, so, and so we don't know. I think you're, the point you're about to make is we still don't know how good or bad this run defense yeah, is. Yeah, we might not because, I mean, on one hand, it might be fair to say, okay, let's wait and see if this pass defense is that bad against teams that aren't going to throw it as well and as often as West Virginia does. Against Florida, their secondary might be competitive. You know, we'll, we'll see in a, in a few weeks. But I don't know if Felipe Franks had five touchdown passes against Charleston Southern. Let's, let's give Dan Mullen, Start QB, Heisman, QB Player of the Year. I mean, there's that too. Dan Mullen's done a good job with quarterbacks wherever he's been. But at the Correct. Same, on top of that, though, the flip side is we might not know yet exactly how tough of a time they might have stopping the run. So I, it's hard to say much just because I think West Virginia was such a bad matchup on paper. I don't say you throw it out. I think there's a lot you can take from it. But I'm not I'm not ready to say just yet the offense is definitely their only hope of being any better. Maybe when they get to SEC play against more balanced offenses, maybe they, they've got some things figured out by then. Maybe they end up playing more zone coverage and things like that. I mean, let's face it, they, they might not be able to, to – Hold up, man to man with the with the secondary. Maybe they boy, had, that's going to be something Pruitt hates. He's going to have he to, does, but that, he, he admitted that, last night that's like when Conzo Martin played some zone defense. He just had to like grit, grit his teeth and be like, yeah. Ugh. But he admitted Wednesday night on Vol calls that he he wants to play man to man and that that that's going to be what they fall back on first, no matter what. But and and that's what where they can play their defense with no limitations. But if they have limitations in the secondary, he's willing to adjust to do whatever he needs to do. So I think that's one of the things you got to find out is. Can this team play that style, or do you need to make some adjustments? And I, most people are probably going to say, you know what, let's see what this staff can dial up because they do have a good resume. And, and 
kind of just sort of big picture. I mean, I think this game highlights that that a Tennessee has a long way to go. I think people kind of you know, I would even say our you know some some of us included got maybe a little bit caught up in that sort of wave of optimism, thinking that eh, you know maybe they could keep this game close, but then uh, you, you kind of see where they are. And this this season was always going to be more about progress than maybe the record, because there in Pruitt City on Wednesday, there might be games where we play really well and we just we just don't win because we don't have you know because the other team is better. Um, and, and there's going to probably be some of those games this year where, where Tennessee's competitive, maybe against an Auburn or maybe even a Georgia. Um, but like it, it, it shows that, that this you know this team has a long ways to go. Um, and, and I think now it's about kind of where do they go from here? You yeah. Know, can, can they start playing better? Can they start making fewer mistakes? Can they, uh, you know, can players that have shown some things in the first game build on what they showed and things like that? And and I think you know that's that's sort of got to be the you got to dig your heels in and kind of see where it's going to go from here because I think that's what it's going to have to be about. I, I mean, if you get caught up in the wins and the losses, it's, you already knew it was going to be a rough year, and now you, you think it's even going to be rougher after watching uh, them play on Saturday. Yeah, and I made the point on the checkerboard this week on, on Go Vols 24-7, and if you're not on Go Vols 24-7, I have no idea why you're taking the time to listen to this podcast. Just get on the site. Because you're an idiot. But uh, <laughs> but I, I made the point on there. I, I think I, I can't remember a season opener where Tennessee fans came away – this down on themselves i've i've seen a lot of people this week and maybe it's just the online overreaction but i've heard it from some people too who are just like man i don't think i realized just how big of a rebuilding job tennessee had and it was utterly depressing to a lot of fans that thought you know just were more optimistic that the congos and you know those types of guys who just hadn't lived up to the potential before could yeah, turn the corner you, you, get, you get a one-time free pass on that and yeah. now if you still believe it you're insane but well, if you wanted to believe it going into the season okay well it's fine. just it's like what i said earlier i mean if you can't if you haven't realized now that whatever tennessee's recruits were ranked or whatever the recruit class yeah. were ranked it doesn't matter it's, because it's old these news guys, i mean this, this is a team that it's all about eight, development i mean this team at four and eight last year i mean i don't know <laughs> i mean they were bad last year i mean they could have gone three and nine last year it was just and uh, I I threw this out on the board too. I think it. I'm trying to remember it. In its last ten games against uh, Power Five opponents, now I think Tennessee is one and nine. Yep. And the average law average margin defeats twenty one points. Yeah. So I mean that's that's your SEC teams. That's Georgia Tech and that's this game. So that's where this coaching um, staff is going to have to earn its money because this yep. team could feel like oh no here we go again and and because right. they probably felt all off season okay things are going to be different now got this new staff all this money everything yada yada and now you have to get them back off the mat and ready to go. And that's why I thought this getting a win against West Virginia or Florida in this first month I thought was really important. So now a lot of a lot goes on that Florida game unless you can steal a Georgia or an Auburn or an Alabama game basically your only chance of not being two and six barring a major upset is to beat Florida um, because you you really might be looking at a two and six start the way they had in 2010 uh, under Derek Dooley where they came back and won their last four games to make a bowl. So that's, and that's tough to, to I come still back from two and six to, to make a bowl game after that. I still think they can beat Florida because I think Florida's a fraud. I, I think, I can't, I, believe think beat I can't believe they're ranked 25th. I think that's a ridiculous. Don't yeah. even get me started. Yeah, I think they can beat Florida. They just got to, they've got to make, make the most of these next two games and they've got to get some better breaks on on injuries and stuff like that they cool. got to make sure the brandon kennedy injury is the last season ending one for a while yeah that was a pretty good segue ryan because there's a couple more things we got to talk about hey, before baby. we before we go to a break and come back and, and talk about a little a little recruiting but, but before then we do need to talk about two things we need to give a little bit of token reference to etsu and then we more Fuck importantly yeah yeah that, that may have counted as that 
and <laughs> we need to discuss Tennessee's offensive line because uh, say what you will about the way that Brandon Kennedy struggled to start that game because he certainly did. The first play was on Ryan Johnson, not on not on Brandon Kennedy. That needs to be noted. But overall, there was way too much pressure up the middle uh, from Tennessee. I know West Virginia stems and does all those other things that make it difficult, but still uh, the offensive line play – was okay at times, uh, but was not was not good overall. And now we've learned that in practice on Tuesday, Brandon Kennedy tore his ACL. He is out for the season. So Tennessee is uh, now uh, going to turn to it looks like Ryan Johnson at first uh, for the center spot, going back to the six foot six uh, center uh, like Tennessee's done in the past. It's a little bit taller than usual. And then I believe that uh, Ryler Locklear then would step into. Uh, the starting spot there at guard, and you'd probably see Jerome Carvin play more. And Chance I think Hall Jerome Carvin looks. might get the start there, actually. Interesting. I, 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 do, I do, too. For whatever reason, Locklear, we thought, was in position to start at one he, point. He didn't and play last week. Yeah, and he's kind of fallen down the pecking order the last couple so weeks. So maybe Jerome Carvin and then a guy like Locklear and Hall and Calbert become guys who can mm-hmm. get themselves in the mix after that. Uh, so now Tennessee, or, or maybe do you look at a, something as a situation where in a pinch, you slide Richmond into guard, and then you play Tatum out there at tackle, or somebody else if that's your best, or, or Jameer well, I, Johnson at tackle. Like there, yeah. th- this changes a lot of things combination wise, and, and I think Tennessee built this offensive line around so many different possibilities, but it looked to me like the set in stone parts were Johnson at one of the guard spots, Kennedy at center, Trey Smith at left tackle. Mm-hmm. That looked like the three like unwaverables. Those look like the three that were – if they were healthy, they were going to be there. Is that there. a word? Yeah. I, I just made it up. Yeah. Um, non-negotiables, whatever. Yeah, I was going to let it slide. Uh, whatever. It's, it, it, we, we, I'm not. It, it's like math. It's like math. Accountability. They're, it's like math. You just do it whatever way you want it. You just get the answer right. Um, I don't think that's that, how that's, math works. That's not how math works. Yeah, it does. I'm married to a math teacher. You can't – you have to show your work. Uh, ag- agree to disagree. Yeah, that's how my wife knows if kids are cheating, if their work is wrong, but they still get the right answer. Well, if they're just a genius. I don't know. They're like, I don't need you to tell me uh, how to get there. I can get there on my own. But point is, those three were the positions they were building that offensive line around. And now it looks like, um, okay, that's going to be shifted. So how big a deal is that? How bad is it? And what does it do to the O-line situation? It's a it's a big deal. I, I mean, I think, first of all, like Patrick, like we were saying, I think Jerome Carvin maybe is the next in line to get a look at left guard. I think right tackle is now more interesting because if Jerome, if Jameer Johnson is is not the left guard, that means he's in the mix at right tackle where we've seen him getting some work this week. So does he start over Drew Richmond? Does Drew Richmond still start and Jameer Johnson goes to the bench? Does Carvin stay on the bench? That They've got some interesting decisions to make now because I think they are shuffling some things around. There's been some talk of Drew Richmond maybe not being a lot to stay in the starting lineup. So we'll see about that. I don't know what's going to come He's never up. proven to be a great football player. <laughs> I mean, he, he could be okay at times. He has been, but he's just – Especially for what he was expected to be, he has not been that. I, I didn't. I didn't break down the tape of Saturday's game with the staff or anything, but I, I what I saw of him, I didn't think he played badly necessarily. I, I think a lot of those guys had moments where they they got beat or didn't do their job right. And, and R- Richmond had a had a pretty big bust actually on on the third down play in the second quarter. When it was ten seven. Uh, Tennessee had the ball at the forty. It was a big opportunity in the game because you have a chance to you have momentum. You have a chance to to maybe go score there and. You know, take a lead in halftime, and and he did not. He went the wrong way on, on the block, and you want you want to aggravate stuff. a coach, mess up in short yardage. Uh, and so you know, I, I think he'll still be at right tackle, but um, Kennedy, I, I think you know, some people can't get over the first quarter he had. A lot of people written him off already. Yeah, a lot of people. And the first play wasn't you know, even his fault. No, the first play was not his fault, but you know, that's 
you know, it is what it is. That's but football. He, as, as many, as much as they were moving guys around throughout camp, who was the one guy that was never at a different position? It was Brandon Kennedy. Yep. He was the starting center, it was obvious, from like the third day of camp. And so there was at no point, I think, did Tennessee's coaching staff think about their best five on the offensive line and say, oh, Brandon Kennedy's not in it. They went out and got this guy from Alabama. Uh, and, and it maybe shouldn't have been a surprise that he struggled some because he didn't really play all that much at Alabama, and he missed all of last season. So uh, you talk about you know Chance Hall playing his first snap since middle of 2016. He gets beat for a sack on his first play. It's not a you know it's maybe it shouldn't be a surprise that Kennedy had some ups and some downs, and he was going against a guy that was a pretty high touted recruit too. So um, and, and he got better as the rest of the offense did throughout you know as the game went along. He had you had an important block on the uh, on Tim Jordan's touchdown in the third quarter too. So. Uh, I, don't, I don't understand why people are kind of just, you know, shrugging this off as, oh, uh, you know, he's one of those guys that wasn't, you know, didn't show to be very good, so we're not really losing much. I think they're losing a lot because yeah. your it's best a- five includes Brandon Kennedy at center. That's just the reality. If, and now it might have to include it, a junior college transfer who's just played one game or a true freshman. Yeah, and you might, yeah. And, and I think, again, I, I think what they'll probably do is, is go with Ryan Johnson at center and then Jerome Carvin at right guard. Uh, or left guard. No, uh, right guard with okay. Jameer Johnson left guard. Okay, okay. Uh, so I think we're going to keep him over there, but uh, it, it's clear. I mean, I think Johnson was getting uh, Ryan Johnson. We have to we have to differentiate yeah. now. Mm-hmm. There's two of them. Uh, Ryan Johnson was getting some some work at center even before Kennedy RJ got JJ, mm-hmm. and Jameer Johnson was getting some work at right tackle. So they were still sort of evaluating and, and moving pieces around, and, and they're still obviously have you know as we talk now they still have another day of practice to sort of figure things out. But they've got two games to kind of figure things out. You know, do they want to move Jameer Johnson over to right tackle? Maybe put a guy like Karon Calvert in at left guard. Yep. They've got some options, but uh, I just think it's not going to be their ideal five because Kennedy won't be part of it. And I think they have been planning since he got here pretty much for him to be part of that that best five. And we we talked about the depth they had developed on the offensive line too. This, I mean, they still do have guys, but you know that's the thing. Now you get into more of the question marks, kind of having to play. Uh, we, you know, people are excited about Chance Hall being back, but like we saw, he's still probably a work in progress it might be for a while uh k-ron calvert has shown a lot of promise but he's probably not ready just yet you know jerome carvin is still a true freshman even though the staff likes him a lot jameer johnson been here played. since january though yeah and and jameer johnson had a setback though that we found out a, a little bit more about recently yeah i had his... a few of those things over the summer that we just yeah. did not hear about at the time callaway yep yeah. And then, and then Jameer, Carvin, yeah. yeah, and then Jameer Johnson's a, still a bit of an underweight guard, having to play there just because that's kind of where they thought he fit uh, going into game one. So I, I thought it was very telling that that Jeremy Pruitt said to me, you know, you have your starting lineup for week one, and then that's just that game, and then you go out there the next week and you got another starting lineup for week two. And I think the staff's going to take it that way, and you're going to see changes throughout the year, and this is going to be an evolving team. I, I need to take a moment and and take some ownership of of something that I was wrong about. We should give Nathan Niehaus some, a shout-out. Yes, we should. Um, because Trey Smith uh, gets his ankle rolled on in the second quarter. We still haven't mentioned him as an option on the offensive line <laughs> of this discussion. And, and I had said on the board, I don't want to say this is verbatim, but paraphrasing here, I was like, I would bet my mortgage that they played two other guys at left tackle before Niehaus played, even though Niehaus was lifted as the second team Fortunately, you didn't make the bet. Fortunately, I did not because Trey Smith goes down, and, and I thought, hey, they'll move Drew Richmond over. To left tackle, or they'll play Jameer Johnson to, at ta- left tackle. They've worked him there. And instead, Niehaus comes in. I'm like, okay, I did not see this coming. And, and he actually, I think he, you know, he held his own. He did. He, he sort of held, uh, held his own there until until Trey got back in the game after getting his ankle taped. So uh, that shows me, you know, I was wrong. Sorry, guys. 
No, it's okay. I mean, that's I what think, I get. I think it yeah. takes. I think it takes a big man to admit that he was wrong. We can. We can and, add and, Nathan and you are that big man. We can add Nathan Niehaus to Kyle Alexander as guys I was really wrong about. And that's not to say that Niehaus is going to be like the left tackle of the future. I'm just saying he he did he got. Did in you there just say he was going to be the left tackle of the future? Did you just say that they'd be better off if Trey Smith got hurt and they had to go with Nathan <laughs> Niehaus? Is that what I heard? <laughs> Or was that, did I hear something? Wes, you are in there. you are fake news. Hey, while while we're while we're uh, taking ownership of things, I I actually <laughs> I, I think I've got to give a shout out to Jarrett Garantano for his performance. I I didn't say that they were definitely going to play both quarterbacks, but I thought it was absolutely not out of the realm of possibility they could play both. And Wes, I think you also you even predicted that as a bold prediction. I think we were all a little bit shaky. Hey, yeah, hey, we thought he was and Garantano hey, played well. That bold prediction was right because Chris came in there for the last drive. <laughs> this is right. true. This is true. You know, so but the uh, no that that was, I think now the next step for Garantano, it's gonna here, here's what's here's what's tricky about this situation with Garantano. We've seen this the past couple of years that he can do the the regular basic throws. He can make those kind of throws, but he. he I don't know if it's because the previous coaching staff got him wired this way because he seems to be so afraid, too afraid to make a mistake to really make big plays. And I think at some point they're going to have to kind of take the restrictor plate off of him and they're going to have to say, listen, uh, try to go make plays because we don't know if he's a natural playmaker or not because he, he's just been so hardwired because he's always been battling for the job. He's always been battling to impress. Maybe if they tell him, okay, you're the guy. They're like, we're not going to tell Chris that right now because we want him to keep working and, and yada, yada. But listen, between me and you, Jared, you're our guy. Well, last week, Now, will he go out there and go play aggressively and make they, try to make some big they plays? Only, they only took two shots down. I was going to say, did game. they give him a chance last week to make those Yeah, they had some RPOs, and he chose the run, and, and they had some passing options open. And, yeah. and, and there were some times that, you know, if he sees a guy open, he just, to me, he – it's good that he wants to take care of the ball because that's important, but this defense is going to give up points. So if you're shoving the ball downfield and it's intercepted, guess what? It's the, it, that's, that's an arm punt. That's okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. You've got to take shots. And I think Garantano has the arm to make impressive throws. And if a guy's open over the middle, he doesn't usually miss him. He, he throws a great slant, those kind of square ends and those drags. Everything over the middle, he throws pretty well. They're going to have to make big plays, though, because you're going to have to stretch out a defense. You know, even if it doesn't work, you have to make a defense see it. What, you have to make them fear it. You have yeah. to make them know that if I sleep on this, I'm going to get burned. And you might get 50 extra yards during the game just by doing that, just by – making it safeties back up a little bit. Well, and one thing that surprised me a little bit Saturday, I, I think you – I mean, Tyson Helton, it was his, uh, one of his first games, if not his first game, ever being the sole play caller as far as we know. You know, it sounds like, you know, we don't know how much input Will Friend had during the game, but I thought Tyson Helton's game was, was – they were obviously committed to the run game, but I questioned a little bit when I went back and watched just how many times we saw West Virginia's corners playing way off the ball. And there was that one drive where Marquez Callaway had three catches. He finished with seven catches in that game. And they, they could have kept going to the well on that, it looked like. I don't think they ever made West Virginia's corners adjust and come up to the line. They could have gone back to that repeatedly, it looked like, and they just didn't because they, didn't, they weren't as committed to the passing game. So I, I wonder if you do open things up a little bit more at some point because the passing game, again, did show some upside. But at the same time, like you said, we, they haven't taken the restrictor plate off to know, to know what Garantano can do when you make him throw it that much and when you give him chances to to be aggressive more often and make those plays. Yeah, I, I, that was the biggest, I think, if, if you're talking about 
play calling and questioning it. And, and Pru- I think Pruitt had a great line on Monday. It was like, it's easy to call the game on Sunday and Monday. It is. Uh, I guess yeah, it's 100% is. true. I, I do think Tennessee maybe should have tested West Virginia's cornerbacks a little bit more. We're gonna, we'll see how those guys uh, do in the Big 12. I think a couple of them might get uh, might have long days out there uh, playing, and they were down playing to- in that conference. But, like, you know, I, I think it, you know, in, the second, in the third quarter, West Virginia, they were up two scores. I think they were just like, let's not give up something cheap. Uh, so that's why maybe they were playing soft coverage, but mm-hmm. uh, I think that was an, uh, a matchup. Maybe Tennessee should have taken advantage more. I did. I didn't like the call to run it twice. I think they had a second and two uh, in the second quarter. Um, the sequence where London got stopped on third down and all. Yeah, that. I, that play had no chance. I know. I mean, that, that was a you know that they didn't they didn't execute either of those plays right in terms. Of, I don't think that was on the running back. I think the running even, backs, even a naked bootleg or something the, like I that could have worked in a situation yeah, like that. I, I think. think I think the running backs did a pretty good job of, of taking what they could, and there were a couple of plays there. It might have been in that sequence. It might have been another one where London had to break like three tackles just to get back to the line of scrimmage. So, um, I, those were the two issues. I know. I think Wes, one one you mentioned was uh, the fourth and goal in the third quarter, or is in the fourth quarter? Low percentage. It was open though. I mean, if it's if it's a better throw, they got a chance. But uh, th- those were just the main two, I think, offensive play calling questions that I had. I think uh, if you're Tennessee, I think you need need to try to take advantage more of, of the receivers that you have. Yeah, my only point on that is that that Pruitt has been at these places where these places where he you could manage a game on offense and your defenses were good enough to win a game for you. Uh, that's not the case with this team. You're going to have to score points. Now, you don't ever try to go into a game saying we're only going to score 20 points, but you. You, you need to be aggressive, I think, on offense with this team because I think the defense is going to give up points. Before we uh, take a break and come back and do recruiting, I'm gonna, I am gonna promised a little bit of uh, ETSU love, and here it comes. East Tennessee State University was founded in ni- uh, October 2nd, 1911. Uh, its motto officially is graduation begins today. Is this Wikipedia or yes. their website? Yeah, uh, both. Uh, the president, Brian Noland. Uh, the provost, Bert C. Bach. So I like that name a lot. Uh, it has 14,334 students, approximately. It's the fourth largest university in the state of Tennessee. Uh, uh, the mascot is Bucky, the Buccaneer. And uh, the colors, navy blue and gold, play in the so- SOCON, the Southern Conference. The conference is near and dear to my heart. I used to cover it. it. It's one of the better FCS conferences in the country. Football was gone for several years, came back a few years ago. Uh, Randy Sanders, former Tennessee offensive coordinator, uh, formerly the most hated man in Knoxville. He is now... The, uh, but it's a shame because he's a good dude, uh, is the coach now at East Tennessee State. Uh, East Tennessee State opened the season, um, and it's located, again, about 100 miles northeast of Tennessee in the Tri-Cities, which uh, is in Johnson City, which I think a lot of people recognize is probably the best, and Grant Ramey would tell you this too, probably the best of the three King, Tri-Cities. Kingsport native. Yeah, I, I think I, th- I think I think Ramey knows deep down in his heart that it's Johnson City, Bristol, and Kingsport in that order. He he, he doesn't like to admit it, but I, yeah. I think in his heart he knows it. Uh, and quickly about ETSU, uh, it had a game uh, last week uh, against Mars Hill, which uh, is not a, a battlefield; it's actually a college. Uh, it's an NCAA Division II college. Well, uh, ETSU won that game twenty-eight-seven. However, the score is a little bit deceiving because the Bucks needed a late third-quarter touchdown to f- take their first lead in that game. So that is the deal with ETSU. Uh, if Tennessee, if this game is a game into the third quarter, uh, Tennessee is hurting because this is a game that Tennessee should this, take care of. Yeah, but if it's not like 64 to nothing, I don't think Pruitt's going to go out there and, and try to embarrass his, his buddy. Nah, nah, he used to coach with Randy Sanders. His buddy Randy Sanders. I don't think he's going to do that. But, you know, if you get a, if you're up four touchdowns at halftime, um, you know, you can, 
let the second and third teamers. Yeah, now go, but let them in there, but let them run the yeah, offense. Yeah, absolutely. Let them let them run the offense. You don't just go in there and take it easy. You know, I, I'm a, I'm a big proponent of putting the second team and third team in there, but letting them run the exact same offense no, because you you're paying ETSU a lot of money for this game. And those and, guys need reps. I yeah, mean, and, and the reality of it, you you need to you know they can keep their starters in there and they can get reps against your second team, third team. Still might be a better competition than they're playing a lot of the season, but they can make more plays against that team. They can build confidence. They can get. There's a lot of good things that'll come with actually playing the game. And I hope Tennessee does that, regardless if it's the second team, third team for some of the game. And I'm interested to see how many uh, of you know freshmen that we didn't see against West Virginia playing this game because they got the new redshirt rule now. So um, these are two big, I think, evaluation weeks for Tennessee staff. I think they find out a lot about their team against West Virginia. Now you have a chance two more games before you get to Florida to find out more about your team. And uh, there's some spots where you you need to find uh, you know learn a little bit more about your depth. I think the defensive line is one. Uh, your offensive line is one too. I think you could see guys like Calvert get in there. Uh, I'm interested to see how many touches and, and opportunities Jeremy Banks gets. Uh, he, yep. he got in late against West Virginia. I think part of that was because Ty Chandler was hurt. But had a nice catch on uh, a bullet did have, pass. Did have a nice catch. I think he's a guy that the Pruitt had some some good words for this week. I'm interested to see if he gets uh, some. I don't want to say mop up duty, but if he gets some some carries late in the game, what he's able to do. Um, and you, you kind of go from there. You got to use you know Tennessee. Let's just be realistic. They're going to win these next two games easily if they don't that's a bad sign yes. um and, and if you're tennessee you would hope that or if you're this coaching staff i should say you should hope that your team comes out focused and, and ready to handle business because um you should be able to handle business pretty easily against an fcs team and an fbs team that's on at least a 13 game losing streak and lost by 20 to an fcs team shuffling things over to recruiting before we get on out of here uh, as of the time that we recorded this podcast uh, Jadon Hill had not yet announced what he was going to do. Jadon Hill, for those of you who don't follow recruiting too, too much, he is a class of 2019 cornerback from Bob Jones High School there near uh, in Madison, Alabama, near Huntsville. Uh, he is ranked number 263 overall uh, in the 24-7 sports composite, the industry-generated 24-7 sports composite. Uh, our our analysts at 24-7 Sports, though, have him significantly higher. He is, uh, for us, he's listed as the number 113 overall prospect. So this this kid is is a big-time player, uh, big-time prospect anyway. Certainly our uh, analysts there at uh, 24-7 have, have him higher than than the national average, I guess, would be, or the composite average would be. Uh, so what is the deal with this kid? As of this announcement, he was still uh, deciding between uh, Tennessee and Florida. Uh, some people think Florida. Some people think Tennessee. This one actually seems to be pretty interesting as far as recruitments go because I think a lot of people on a lot of sides feel convinced that he's doing this yeah. or that. And when that happens, uh, someone is going to be left holding an empty bag. Yeah. So we'll see what happens there. But, Ryan, uh, what it, what's the deal with this kid? Uh, how good uh, is this kid? And uh, what is the significance of him going to either Florida or Tennessee? Yeah, well, this is – it's become a really important recruitment for Tennessee because uh, a couple of options at cornerback have, have fallen off the board. They, they've got a couple commitments there, but still need another one at least uh, in this class to go along with Tyus Fields and Warren Burrell. And uh, Jaden Hill looks like their best bet right now of adding one of those highly ranked guys they've been after. Uh, they missed out on Elijah Blades, a junior college uh, guy that they uh, were in on pretty heavily Great name. this summer. Uh, he's committed to Oregon now, still looking around a little bit, so maybe you don't shut the door on that one completely. But uh, most of the guys thereafter now are committed to other schools. So you got Maurice Hampton, the LSU commitment from Memphis, still hasn't been on campus. 
you know, Woody Washington, the Oklahoma commitment from Murfreesboro, he, you know, he always showed some interest in Tennessee, but just didn't kind of, it didn't come together on both sides by this summer and he, he decided to go elsewhere. So I, I think you're looking at Jaden Hill, maybe being the, the best bet of really filling that spot with a, with a corner they really like, at least as of right now. And so Florida's kind of in the same boat. They've got one cornerback commitment. He became a priority for them after they offered him in June. And he, you know, visited there in late July and being there for the first time really liked it. So I think they, they gave him a lot to consider when it was previously a Tennessee, South Carolina battle. So officially three finalists, Tennessee, Florida, South Carolina, but it sounds like in, in the end it's come down to Tennessee and Florida and, like you said, Wes, there are mixed signals on this one. You know, as of this point, he is yet to announce. But uh, we're, you know, we're hearing more on this end about Tennessee. Um, you know, others that cover Florida and and even some other people elsewhere are, are hearing more about Florida. Um, does that mean he's definitely going to one school over the other? Can't say that conclusively. Um, you know, we've I've stuck with my crystal ball pick on Tennessee just just because of of the different places we've heard buzz about Tennessee. But it, this one could go either way. So. Not going to be surprised uh, if he picks either team, but this has definitely been an interesting recruitment, and it'll be a big win for whoever gets it. At the same time, he's already talking about taking official visits to all three of his finalists, so this one's not going to be over, most likely, for whoever lands him. And that there's even been some talk of him maybe visiting South Carolina this weekend unofficially uh, for for their game against Georgia. So we'll see if he follows through on that. But that it, it's a it's an important recruitment, but at the same time. Even though he's an early enrollee, a guy graduating in December, he's, he's still got a few months. So if he takes official visits, uh, this this might not be the end for for whoever gets him. But definitely one to watch, uh, and will people will know hopefully by the time uh, this podcast is released where he's gone. But you know, even at this point, we can't say for sure that he was going to announce on Thursday. You know, things are, have been kind of up in the air, and the time's been all over the map so far. Yeah, I'm going to go on a limb and say this. Uh, I've spoken to this kid a grand total of zero point zero times. However, ju- just you know, covering this thing from afar, uh, reading the coverage, talking to, to different people about, about this kit, I'm just going to make a bold comment here. I'm pretty sure his recruitment will not be finished when he announces this commitment. I think if he picks Florida, he'll still take visits. If he goes to, if he picks Tennessee, I think he'll still take visits. And it would not – like I would say it's greater than a 50-50 chance that this kid probably flips at some point. I, I just – when you see a recruitment go like this, it's not like it goes from crazy to just set in stone and then that's it for the final few months. Uh, that, that just doesn't happen a lot. Uh, when a kid is all over the place like this, it just – and, hey, sometimes those commitments, those guys, when they sign, they end up being really loyal and there's no problem with them, but their recruitment for one reason or another – just becomes kind of a circus. And this kind of feels like a little bit of a circus type of feel to it, so I don't know that it'll be over either way, but that's just, that's just speculation on this. And I'm, I'm yeah. not I'm, – I don't – I say this all the time. We, we have recruiting experts all over this network. I'm sitting next to one right now. I am not one of those. I don't pretend to be one. I never will. But just – you're around this stuff long enough, it looks to me like this kid's going to be all over the place. Oh, only God's an expert, Ernie. That's true, Charles. Uh, but yeah, I, I do think this one won't be over probably, and that's that. I think it's a fair read. I don't, I, I don't know that I would say there's a high chance of him flipping wherever he goes, but I do think you, you'd rather, uh, you, you feel okay even if you miss out on him here, just because you still have a shot. You still don't write it down in sharpie. Yeah, if you're going to yeah. use a pen, get one of those, uh, those new erasable pens. Yeah, get get, get one of those. And, and yeah, I mean, I. Well, anytime it's this close, there's always a chance of that. And, yeah, the, especially the fact that he's talking about taking official visits to 
to other schools, you know, that's uh, to all three of the schools that have been in the mix. That that makes it that makes it tough to say it's gonna gonna end with this. But you'd still rather be the school that has him than the school chasing. So that, that's why it's a big deal. Um, on top of that, you know, do, I guess we should mention Tennessee did play. You know, they'll they'll have some visitors in for the ETSU game. It being their home opener, not not expecting a ton of guys in town since it's not a high profile game. But they will have some visitors there. But this past week, playing in Charlotte gave them a chance to to have some players at that game. They they get to give out tickets to those neutral site games, just like Atlanta last year and uh, the battle at Bristol two years ago. So you had some players there. It was in Charlotte, so you got those big time guys from Charlotte there, like five star athlete Quavaris Crouch. Um, you had you had Tyus Fields, the four star cornerback commitment there four-star wide receiver Chaffrey Brown so definitely some recruiting benefits out of that and even some of the 2020 kids that were there big time players like Porter Rooks the the receiver from great Charlotte who's the uh the number one player in the state right now in the 24 7 sports great great name he's he's a good player and that's uh you know you can't waste a name like that if that's your name you better be good because that's just a hell of a name Jacoby Cowan his teammate uh, solid name a a top 100 player defensive lineman so you you had some big time players there and and that's even though Tennessee didn't play well and didn't have a a great game uh you know still a lot of players that were there came away saying good things and they liked to liked at least what they saw in 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 principle from Tennessee staff and and as as I pointed out I've I've talked to multiple kids who referenced the fact that Jeremy Pruitt had already told them you know year one is going to be tough for them that it may it's going to be their worst record during his time there and so they weren't they weren't going in expecting Tennessee to beat West Virginia necessarily, so they they did a good job of I think managing expectations, letting players know you know what to look for from them this season. And because of that, even though fans might have thought, oh, well, this is terrible for Tennessee's chances with Quivaris Crouch or whatever, I think most of the guys that were there came away thinking, ah, they're, they're still a work in progress. But I saw some things from that staff that I think I'm going to like. Side note: If you're a Tennessee fan and you wonder how you can help the recruiting process. You probably are thinking to yourself, I'm going to tweet at these kids all day, every day. (laughs) That's uh, wrong and creepy. However, if you actually want to help Tennessee's recruiting effort, what you can do is show up to games this year, no matter what the record is, be there, be loud, try to act like you care. That probably would show more to prospects than anything else. If you're a fan and you want to know what you can do from your end, go to the game, cheer, have a good time make the place seem like this kid wants to come play well, football there. And, and subscribe to Go Vols 24-7. And, and spend that money that you would illegally filter to a recruit. Use that money in a more legally responsible manner and subscribe to GoVols247.com where you can get the best Tennessee access anywhere in the whole and, wide and, world of internets. And you get it for a very, very reasonable rate. Less than one mediocre lunch. Why does that have to be mediocre? Why not a good lunch? Are we gonna because I'm saying if, if you get a really really good lunch, you're probably going to pay a little more. Than okay, that. Maybe. but I'm saying That's it's fair. the size about you know yeah, a about mediocre, the cost. an average. Why do people say the word like average and mediocre are bad words? It's just it's okay. It's yeah. it's, it's not great. But if everything in your life was great, you're one of those people. Oh my god, it was amazing. If you're one of those people who does that all the time, yeah. What's actually amazing in your life? Nothing probably is. That's true. You're nothing just wrong. It for nothing fact. wrong with average. Yeah. Average is okay. You sound like you're trying to convince that, us, Wes. That's what. Never mind. Yeah, I know. That's anyway. Um, Why don't you finish your thought there? Nope, I'm done. But the uh, say it again. Uh, that's what she said. No, no, no. You see, we, we nothing we're, wrong with average. That's what she said. Easy. I needed to say it like Michael Scott does. Now that we've gone off the rails, that way it's um, a pop culture reference and not an inappropriate reference. But we, but this, but Wes, the point you make is a is a good one. I, this this came up on the checkerboard last week on Go Lost 24/7. That you know how is this. 
you know, how is this not a big deal that Quavaris Crouch and all these guys are going to be at the at the game if Tennessee wins or loses? You know, some people were kind of saying this game took on a lot more importance because obviously every recruit makes their decision based off of one football one game, game not right? So what what I what I told people and they still have some people still have a hard time, you know imagining that the outcomes of games that players attend don't really matter that much and deciding where a player goes to school. You know, maybe you attend a really memorable game and that, that helps you make up your mind because you just saw an amazing atmosphere or something. But usually what kids take away from official visits, and then even last year, Tennessee loses 41 nothing to Georgia. And I talked to kids who came away from that game saying, man, the atmosphere was crazy. Because all they remembered was the first quarter when it was still a game, the crowd was into it. So they, they, they come away from most visits talking about the atmosphere at the game, who they talked to and who they hung out with, and then maybe third what how they think they can fit into the scheme and, and some, if you're if you're randy moss the waffles yeah and sometimes randy loves waffles and sometimes what players might take away from a game is i can go in there and help that team because they're so bad at my position and so even when you look bad sometimes it looks pretty good to a recruit because they see opportunity so opportunity is now here so so yeah i, th- I think most of the recruits that were there even though tennessee played badly they or didn't play well um they they still came away you know, liking their first impression of Jeremy Pruitt and his staff. And, and again, his staff had done a good job of letting players know this might be a tough year for them. I think that's fair. Ryan, well, thanks, Wes. Any, any more recruiting uh, news, notes, tidbits, uh, important details, things that have been uh, behind a paywall but now have been sufficiently behind a paywall for long enough where we can tell people for free what's happening? Because normally if you want it instantaneously, you got to go to the website. Listen, we'll give you a little sneak peek here, but we're not – we're not showing you the whole thing, okay? Yeah. It's, Is there anything else to uh, throw in there? Not, not a whole lot to add. Uh, you know, the, the evaluation period – or not the evaluation period. Uh, on September 1st, you know, coaches were allowed to f- reach out to players for the first time, so you're starting to see things pick up a little bit with the 2020 class, um, and, and you'll see some more activity with that class going forward, even more offers and things like that. But that's that's something to watch. Obviously, this is the time of year everybody focuses more on the current class, but definitely things will start to heat up more, you know, with in-state guys in 2020 and things like that. You've already seen plenty of text messages and communication with uh, with coaches, so definitely something to keep an eye on recruiting-wise uh, throughout the fall. This is always an interesting time of year to kind of get a better feel for teams' boards, and they're obviously evaluating players this season to see who they really want in that class as well. So uh, definitely a lot to keep an eye on throughout the season in addition to the current team. I think it's a pretty good place to leave it. I think I've decided that. Are we going to make our predictions on Tennessee ETSU? Patrick, uh, who you got? Uh, I'm going to take the balls. I don't know. I'm waffling. I'm going to, I'm going to take the balls. Wes said waffles, so I'm waffling. I'm going to take the, the balls in a squeaker. I'm going to take them in a 48 to 10 squeaker. Yeah, that sounds about right. I'll go 44 to 7. Okay. Now the Bucks are going to be listening. This is bulletin board material for the Bucks right here. Is what this is. I hadn't thought enough about my score yet. I guess I'll go with, I'll go with like fifty-two to, fifty-two to seven. I don't know if they'll even score ten. I, I might change. I, I might change and go with the shutout. I I'm think. Not sure. I, I think they might get ten. I don't know why. I just think I feel for like, some reason I think I, they might get ten. I points. feel like Prudel let let Randy get get some points. Second half, get a couple points. Plus, you know, Randy Sanders had a, you know, he's a good offensive mind. He's probably got some tricks up his sleeve for his old buddy. I just think ETSU might get a field goal, you know, at some point because they don't want to be shut out. So they're going to go for that three at first. And then the second time against like the third or fourth team defense and walk-ons, they'll go out there and get a touchdown late. And next week we get to preview Team Chico. I'm looking forward to that. They're really bad. They lost 30-10 to 10 to a Division One FCS team in their first game. They're pretty, pretty bad. Pretty bad. But, hey, they're just across the border from uh, Juarez, Mexico, which is a really, really safe city. 
not at all one of the most dangerous places in the world. Great place to raise a family. Pat, any final thoughts? No. <laughs> <laughs>